0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's free, 100% free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. It couldn't be easier. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here from CBSSports.com. Episode 4 of the Prospect Podcast, which is now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, if there are any others, I know those are the three big ones. You can listen to this podcast on those platforms. Subscribe, like, share, comment, whatever you want to do. But don't have to just get it through this link. You can get it anywhere you listen to your podcast. Jumping right in today, I'll start with quarterbacks, and I'm going to be somewhat brief on this first guy that's led off the first three of my podcast, Tua Tagovailoa. Against Southern Miss over the weekend, he was 17 of 21 for 293 yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions. It's kind of like a broken record in terms of his stat line every single week. He's completing 77.7% of his passes. yards per attempt, which is actually higher than where he was last year when he set a passing efficiency record at the college football level. 17 touchdowns, no interceptions. I just still didn't see it, though. It's so hard to evaluate him because of the talent around him. And I sound like a broken record because I've said that the last couple episodes, and you've seen it in my writing. You've read it. But against Southern Miss, there was a couple underthrows deep, A lot of easy completions. There was a post that Jerry Judy was wide open on, fell short. Moving inside the pocket, I I didn't think he was fantastic in that area. He is good getting through his progressions. And he showed that even last year in his first year as a starter. So I think people, including myself, were very impressed by someone as raw, and as green as he was to be doing what, a lot of senior quarterbacks aren't able to do at the college level. He throws pretty accurately at the short levels of the field. He does not have a big arm. That's probably going to be the biggest knock on him. I mean, some people might talk about his height. But after Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray go number one overall in back-to-back drafts, I don't think it's going to be as much of a talking point, especially not as big as it was with Kyler Murray in the past draft cycle. But his arm strength is pretty. Average at best, and probably on most throws, it's below average. He's not super accurate down the field. I'm not burying him at this point. He's still going to be near the top of my big board when it comes out um, for the first time in season in a couple of weeks, but he hasn't impressed anywhere near the numbers that he's put up thus far in this college football season. Alabama has played a relatively easy schedule to date. And as they get into the SEC schedule, we'll get to see much more of a challenge for Tua Tagovailoa. But that's where I'm at with him. He's going to be a tough evaluation. I haven't been wowed by very many throws in any of his games. It's not as though he's with 17 completions for out of 21 attempts. There's not six, seven, eight wild throws in there. There's just maybe one or not any, which seems ridiculous. But so much yards after the catch. Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddell, Devonta Smith, the latter of which was barely not even part of the offense after he was the best receiver on the field the week before against New Mexico State, just gives you an idea of how talented the Crimson Tide pass-catching group is. Moving to Justin Herbert, 19 of 24 for 259 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. He's at 8.7 yards per attempt this year which is higher than it was last year, but it's not as high as it was when he was a sophomore in 2017. That was 9.6 that year. So the efficiency is back to a certain degree. It's 14 touchdowns, no interceptions. Facing Stanford, beating Stanford, having that type of performance, 19 of 24, 259, three touchdowns, no picks, was very workmanlike. Stanford, she's dealing with a ton of injuries. It's not As strong of a team as we've seen from David Shaw's club the last couple of years, they lost a ton of talent to the NFL draft in 2019, mostly on the offensive side of the ball, but still some defensive players as well. I saw more throws from Justin Herbert that weren't swing passes, that weren't bubble screens, that weren't just slants. Uh, That article will come out today on Justin Herbert. I'm going deep inside his performance against Stanford. I saw some what would be labeled as traditional NFL throws, uh, a deep out from the far hash, perfectly timed, perfectly placed. The ball jumped off his hand. I always say that with Justin Herbert because that's really what it feels like when you watch him, that the ball just explodes off his hand. Some good drifts inside the pocket. He was sacked a couple of times. Most of those plays, he really couldn't do anything. There was coverage sacks or the pressure got in his face right away on the front side. tried to elude a defender and, and even the more athletic quarterbacks aren't going to do that a lot of the times against an edge rusher i liked what i saw from justin herbert it was two straight games with five touchdowns and no interceptions against nevada and montana certainly step up in competition on the road against stanford they lost to stanford last year he hasn't been fantastic in a lot of Pack 12 games especially on the road so this was a step in the right direction for Justin Herbert who is certainly more physically imposing and more physically and athletically impressive than Tua Tagovailoa. Last week I talked about who is or I kind of posed the question who is that number three quarterback in this class and maybe someone who can compete with Justin Herbert or Tua Tagovailoa for that number two spot the second quarterback off the board or the second quarterback on my big board right now that's Joe Burrow I think what he did against Vanderbilt on the road and and it's Vanderbilt it's not a powerhouse in the SEC but that program is ascending 25 of 34 368 six touchdowns no interceptions there was a lot of yak in this game from LSU receivers and and as usual they have a great receiver group Maybe not Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, but Justin Jefferson is very good. They have a lot of other playmakers who are awesome in space. But I've seen so much more poise from Joe Burrow than I saw last year. I wrote it this uh, past week in my mock draft that I sent Joe Burrow to the Tennessee Titans inside the top 15. They just seem like a team that needs to move on from Marcus Mariota. He wasn't draftable. Joe Burrow, to me, was not a draftable prospect watched him over the summer because he was the bigger recruit because he was a, at ohio state he's playing for a huge program at lsu they won some games last year he had some good performances stat wise down the stretch but after his first read he would just take off and run he was panicked his accuracy was not great down the field made a couple of good throws in the last two months of the season but not anything that i thought okay this guy Could even be draftable. Maybe 6th or 7th round, a team wants to take a flyer on him. But I did not see anywhere close to a top-tier talent at the quarterback spot or in terms of his refined skills. And he's showing those off this year. So much poise inside the pocket. There can be pressure around him. His head stays up. You almost can't tell that he's being pressured. And that's a great sign for a quarterback prospect. Drifting away from pressure throwing accurately and you see the moments where his arm lets you remember or lets you know that he was a top quarterback recruit coming out of high school good accuracy not ridiculous throws in this game against Vanderbilt not nearly as good as some of the throws he put on film against Texas and that impressive win in Austin but just was surgical throughout the game at the short, intermediate, and deep portions of the field. Was great inside the red zone when things can get a little chaotic and there's not a lot of space. So right now, we're, we are at the maybe the quarter pole of the season in college football. But Joe Burrow is the number three quarterback. On my board, Jalen Hurts is up there as well. Jacob Eason has flash and has the arm. But I think it's Tua, Herbert are neck and neck and Joe Burrow's right behind them, and is, if he continues in the SEC schedule, I talked about this with Tua Tagovailoa, if he continues this type of calmness in the pocket, accuracy from the pocket, great decision-making, leading his receivers in stride so they can maximize yards after that. Not going to do a segment of big board movement per se, in this episode, because I'm not coming out with a big board this week. I'm just going to highlight one player who, if I was coming out with a big board, would be ascending that big board. And that's Florida State's defensive tackle, Marvin Wilson. Just talked about Joe Burrow as a former top recruit who kind of took a few years to really acclimate and, and show that talent, have it come to fruition at the college level. That's Marvin Wilson, too. He was a big recruit coming to Tallahassee. His first couple of seasons there, he was a good player. He was mostly a, a run defender, did not see a lot of pass rushing productivity from him, did not really impact the game really often at all on third downs or on second and longs. That's not the case this year. I don't know what he did in the offseason. Maybe he shed a little weight. Maybe he worked on his pass rushing moves that I've seen. His first step looks considerably better than where it was last year. He had 10 tackles and two sacks against Louisville. And yes, that Louisville program is down, but they have some good offensive linemen up front for the Cardinals. He has three sacks thus far in 2019. He only had three and a half in all of 2018. Just very consistent in each game. As a pass rusher, he didn't just load the stat sheet against their lesser competition or against Louisville. In all the games that I've watched for Florida State, the first four games of the season, I've seen Marvin Wilson flash time and time again in those passing situations. And this is not, after a great, uh, legendary, to a certain degree, defensive tackle and defensive line class in 2019, there's not really anyone or a group of guys who are these elite pass rushers. Derek Brown went into the season with a lot of hype. I had him further in back in the first round of my big board because I didn't see the pass rush from him. Raekwon Davis, same thing. The catch, I think, I mean, it might seem crazy coming from where he was and his pretty fascinating college football career, starting at Ohio State, losing quarterback battles, transferring this and he's having a little problems this year with leverage because he's six foot seven around 310, 320 pounds, more of a defensive end in a three-four than inside. Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina, similar type player. He's a better pass rusher to me than both Derek Brown and Raekwon Davis from Alabama. But there's a situation where someone like I think it would be kind of crazy to say that Marvin Wilson hasn't played up to a first-round caliber at this point in the college football season. Will he go top 10? That's a big ask but we've seen him now in four straight games produce each week. So that's really important. The first steps there, the pass rushing moves are there, the strength is there. He's a squatty player, he's strong. I really like what I've seen from Florida State defensive tackle Marvin Wilson in these in this first month of the college football season. Marvin Wilson can really take advantage of what's a weaker defensive tackle class. And right now, it looks like a first-round pick to me. I'm, I mocked him inside the top 10 of my most recent mock draft. It's still early. We're just kind of experimenting with where players could land and some fits with some with different teams. Jumping over to wide receiver watch now. Really talked a lot about the Alabama wide receivers in the first three episodes. Henry Ruggs has been ridiculous. He has 22 touchdowns and 75 career touches with the Crimson Tide. Added two more over the weekend against Southern Miss. But I want to talk about Tylen Wallace from Oklahoma State. Um, finished second in the Belitnikoff Award to Jerry Judy last year. And it was easy to say, okay, he's in this high-powered offense at Oklahoma State. Of course, he's going to put up big numbers. But you watch him. He had five catches for 83 yards in the loss to Texas over the weekend. And he had two outstanding catches that showed off his amazing body control, his high-pointing ability, his concentration, his strong hands, and he's doing that every week. Yes, he's catching a bubble screen and running straight down the field at, you know, with some great blocking in front of him, 75 yards. So he has the speed, and yes, he can track it down the field, but the body control and the high-pointing ability that he showcased early in 2019, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that if he runs – under 445 at the combine he's going to have the production he has the refined receiver skills maybe he's not running a full route tree but I think teams are not as concerned with that as they used to be I think he could go in the first round he moved up or his stock was up in my most recent wide receiver watch which came out on cbssports.com yesterday Tylen Wallace that offense is a lot of fun and Tylen Wallace is the focal point, and he's not just doing gadgety type stuff. He can really make those difficult catches down the field, which is just as important as being fast. There's fast wide receivers across the college football landscape, but the players who can track the ball over their shoulders with a defender a step behind them and can also go up and get it. Those are the elite downfield threats, and that is, to me, is the type of player that Tylen Wallace is from Oklahoma State. I want to spend the most time on young players in my young player segment in this podcast and highlight these quarterbacks. I've been grading and evaluating all the first and second year quarterbacks who've played thus far, played significant snaps thus far in the 2019 season. There have been 11 of them so far who were a few undrafted, like Kyle Allen, the Carolina Panthers who made an awesome debut this past week but 11 quarterbacks from 2018 or 2019 in either of those classes have played thus far and I'm just going to quickly highlight what I've seen from a lot of these quarterbacks thus far I'll start off with who I just mentioned Kyle Allen was very good throwing against man coverage to Greg Olson against the Arizona Cardinals is this secondary Back to the line of scrimmage, and then later in the game, just held the ball, held the ball as he's carrying a defender to the ground, throws the football, tries to force it. I believe to Cole Beasley, intercepted. Very easy pick for Darius Phillips, the cornerback. He's got to erase that. He said that after the game. He said in the preseason that he wasn't going to do it. In the post game press conference against the Bengals, he said he was kind of trying to throw the ball away. Maybe that was the case. Um, but he did not see Darius Phillips. he can't do that. He has to once he gets out of the pocket, yes, you can look outside the structure. He made good plays against the Jets and the Giants throwing on the run and I think that's an element of his game that the bills really want to tap into and they want from him. But after a few seconds when he 's outside the pocket when he 's forced from the pocket, not when he just leaves a clean pocket, Josh Allen has to just throw the football away in those situations. so we 'll see if that continues he 's going to have a very tough test on Sunday against New England. But on a lot of those plays, they weren't factored into his passer rating because he was sacked. So he needs to clean that up. Same with Kyle Allen as they move forward. They had the two highest grades of the rookie quarter or of the younger quarterbacks tied with Josh Allen uh, for the performances in Week Three. Getting to Josh Allen, I've been very impressed with his poise inside the pocket. Just talked about the improvement needed for Daniel Jones and Kyle Allen. Josh Allen last season. The first half of the year and the second half of the season when he played better, he was not poised in the pocket. When he felt pressure, he was like, hey, I'm more athletic than pretty much everyone on the field. I'm going to run. And there, it did lead to some big games for the Bills down the stretch and for Kyle Allen's fantasy owners. But it wasn't sustainable. It wasn't what he could do in year two, and year three, and year four if he wanted to improve and help this Bills offense. His patience inside the pocket. He's not panicking. He's throwing with accuracy to the short to intermediate levels. He hasn't really hit that big play down the field yet, and I think that'll come. But I saw against the Bengals was a quarterback who looks like he knows what's happening in his system. I think it helps a lot to be in the same offensive scheme for the second straight year under Brian Dable. He's finding John Brown and Cole Beasley underneath. When he needs to on third downs, maybe even on first and ten to get it into that favorable second and short. There are those plays though, and it happened against the Bengals, where he goes hero ball and he tries to overextend, as I like to say, the play with his feet. And the Bills offensive line has certainly been better than it was last season. But he's been but Josh Allen has been pressured a fair amount in these first three games. He's scrambled a bunch. He's made some good plays outside the structure of the play. But against the Bengals off script, there was an intentional grounding that he retreated about 10 or 15 yards backwards. And even with his arm strength, did not have enough velocity to get the ball. Jumping back to Kyler Murray, another rookie talked about Daniel Jones earlier. I like what I've seen from him, that he's getting through his progressions. And I think that's probably... A favorable situation for him because he's in Cliff Kingsbury's offense. That's almost identical to the one he ran at Oklahoma, and I I saw that against Detroit. I saw him looking to his right, not liking what he'd see, and then checking down over the middle or getting all the way back to the left side of the field. But he is panicking inside the pocket a little bit too much, and he did it against Detroit. The first play of the game, clean pocket, and he didn't like what he saw in his first read, and then he just just decided to run and he did that a lot throughout the course of the game it led to him missing some open receivers it led to him running and not picking up as big of a gain as he could have as if he threw the football and there was one bad throw inside his own end in the second half tried to throw it through zone there was an underneath defender either didn't see him or didn't put enough arc on the ball was an easy interception did not think it was a good performance I thought his NFL debut and the week before from Kyler Murray were a lot better at Oklahoma, and that was kind of my biggest gripe with him. And it wasn't really his fault. He was not under pressure a lot. That was a great offensive line. The most creative system in college football under Lincoln Riley did not have to deal with a ton of pressure. And he didn't have to deal with a ton of it last year down the stretch for the Cleveland Browns. And when he did, that's when we saw him make his biggest mistakes. I'm seeing that thus far. The offensive line is not great. Everyone's seeing it. That Baker Mayfield is instantly when he's catching that shotgun snap, thinking of the pass rush. He's not instant, not always instantly dropping his head, but he's doing it probably too frequently to be a successful passer at the NFL level at this point. That could change. He could get more calm and more poised inside the pocket. He was not either of those things against the Rams on Sunday Night Football, and that's leading to him throwing the football late down the field on crossers. He was not good inside the red zone. His touchdown was a very easy play that was almost a broken coverage on a pass to Demetrius Harris kind of over the middle from in close. But with the game on the line, he evacuated a clean pocket a few times, uh, another trip down into the red zone. He was late and almost got intercepted by Akib Talib. I think he saw him at the last second kind of let the ball sail So Baker Mayfield needs to show more poise, more pocket management skills, drifting away from pressure, keeping his eyes up, and finding those talented receivers that he has in Cleveland. Speaking of being antsy and panicking inside the pocket, that's what I've seen through three games with Baker Mayfield. And I understand it to a certain degree on Sunday Night Football against Aaron Donald in that defensive line. Michael Brockers doesn't get a lot of publicity. He's more of a run defender, but he's a former first-round pick. He's a very good defensive lineman. Dante Fowler can get after the quarterback. Baker Mayfield, But I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about Mason Rudolph, my number one quarterback in the 2018 class. Did not have a great performance on the road in San Francisco. I think the adrenaline was pumping a little bit. He missed a couple throws high that were there down the seam that he usually hits. Although that can be his miss, and it was his miss at Oklahoma State, but there was two or three in that game that, were, that sailed a little bit too high. Maybe could have been ridiculous catches, but needed to be lower. And I was really confused by the conservative game plan. Um, yes, it was Mason Rudolph's first start. Yes, it was on the road against a team with a good pass rush and an emerging secondary that has that elder statesman in Richard Sherman that can really lock down wide receivers. The first couple of plays of the game, screen, screen, inside screen, bubble screen, drag route, screen. Mason Rudolph can do that, but you want him stretching the field vertically. He's a great deep ball thrower. He's good working the intermediate portions of the field because he can throw with anticipation due to the fact that he doesn't have a big arm and he he's never had a big arm, so he's always had to throw with anticipation. In the second half, he threw the great pass over the middle to... Juju Smith-Schuster, who ran for a 75-yard touchdown. The touchdown to Deontay Johnson that gave the Steelers the lead with under six minutes to go. He looked right to kind of bait the safety to that side of the field and then came back to his left, perfectly thrown ball to Deontay Johnson on, on a double move. But yes, it did seem like he was a little bit overwhelmed with just the speed of the defense, and I think that's normal for a quarterback making his first start. Certainly wasn't the case for Daniel Jones and for Kyle Allen, but I thought their game plans were a little bit more open where the defense wasn't able to just fly downhill to these wide receiver screens, to these short drag routes, to the inside screens, to tight ends, to running backs. I think on Monday Night Football, with a game under his belt and the relief appearance in Week 2 against the Steelers, I think the Steelers should and will open up the game plan a little bit for Mason Rudolph, Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, James Washington, and it'll be a better performance for him in Week 4. One other guy I need to talk about, or actually two others, and I'll be quick with him, Gardner Minshew. His performance on Thursday Night Football I think is being overblown a little bit. The first quarter was great. His first touchdown was an easy play-action pass. The next one to DJ Chark was a perfectly placed pass in the end zone. After that, though, especially in the second half, he only completed seven passes after halftime and was not as sharp. You saw those moments where his arm, his really below average arm, kind of hindered him down the field. Made a few good passes, especially one late in the game. There was a third and 10, threw a great pass on a comeback route, great timing. That was the most velocity that I saw from him. But there's a lot about his mustache and that he's kind of a happy-go-lucky guy. He's a six-round pick. His dad's in the stands with the visor on. Pretty muscular dude. It's a great story. It's funny. But Gardner Minshew hasn't been as impressive as the hype to me early on. Two other quarterbacks, actually. Josh Rosen. I didn't think he was bad against New England. When he came in with about eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter, the score was 37 nothing. He dropped a few passes in the bucket down the field, and they were dropped by Jakeem Grant, Deontay Park, or Devontae Parker, Preston Williams dropped one as well. Against Dallas, though, he kind of regressed a little bit, and it kind of sounds weird saying because we haven't seen that tremendous quarterback play from him yet. First drive of the game was good. had a, another drop down the field um, later in the game. Devontae Parker made an awesome catch on that first drive. One-handed grab down the field from Rosen. But his offensive line really kind of held him up in this game. Dallas didn't really set the world on fire starting off. But in the second half, he was Josh Rosen was under pressure repeatedly. I don't think he threw with a lot of poise, a lot of accuracy. I think the Jets with Darrell Revis in 2010, no. But for him to come in as an undrafted free agent, throw with accuracy, throw with a lot of velocity, and I talked about it with Joe Burrow earlier. You saw why Kyle Allen was a top recruit coming out of high school, in that game on Sunday. He has the arm. He has the size. I just wanted to see a little bit better pocket presence from him. There was a lot of times where he would get to the top of his drop and then just stay flat-footed and didn't feel pressure a few times. He did have a strip sack in that game. Chandler Jones got to him. But I thought he got the football out quickly. He threw well to the intermediate level. This was not just dinking and dunking. He threw with a lot of assertiveness – I liked what the Carolina Panthers did that they got Greg Olson in some one-on-one situations over the middle crossing um, deep down the formation. I thought that was a smart thing for that offense to do um, because a tight end can be a quarter a young quarterback's best friend and Greg Olson is one of the best in the league and has been that for a long time. Moving over to Daniel Jones similar in that to Kyle Allen in that I loved what he did in terms of getting the football out quickly. The situation didn't seem too big for him. A few more short passes for Daniel Jones in that win against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Then Kyle Allen did make some good throws at the intermediate level. Um, dropped a few in the bucket down the field. A few of those were dropped. But similar to Kyle Allen, the pocket presence wasn't there for Daniel Jones. There was a few times there was that really good... Escape from the pocket to his left, and then he found Saquon Barkley early when the score was 12 to 3 down inside the red zone. That was great improvisation, and he did need to run out of the pocket in that scenario. But a lot of other times, and there was a stretch in the second half where on back to back possessions, Daniel Jones was actually sacked five times in a row. Two of them were strip sacks. One sack he really couldn't do anything about because it was a blitz and pressure got in his face right away. But the other times, he needed to feel pressure. He needed to get it out quicker. Um, He tried to throw one pass when he should have let it go earlier. The pressure was getting in his face. He tried to stand in and be a tough quarterback, which I like. But you sometimes have to throw the ball before that big hit comes. So Daniel Jones, very impressive start. Not as ridiculous of a performance as I think it's being made out in the media because it's the Giants. He's replacing Eli. There was so much criticism about the selection him going number six overall I thought he showed a lot of what he showed at Duke that from a clean pocket the short and intermediate levels he can be accurate he typically knows where to go with the football I think he has the perfect head coach in Pat Shermer he's in the ideal offensive scheme but needs to be better moving inside the pocket and that's what we saw at Duke under pressure he was not very good in the game against the Buccaneers his statistics against pressure were great kind of like Baker Mayfield was worried about the pass rush before anything else when he caught that shotgun snap so we'll see where he goes it's just another t- tough situation for him similar to the one he was in in Arizona we all kind of saw this coming but he just needs to stay on the field the Dolphins need to play him for the rest of the season no more Ryan Fitzpatrick Lamar Jackson watching him and I wrote this in my grades for the quarterbacks in week three the young quarterbacks He's like a video game, truly is, and not just with his scrambling ability. With some of the throws that he's willing to make down the field, there were two passes in this game that had no business being completed or even thrown. Uh, One was earlier in the game. It looked like it was offensive pass interference. He was being taken to the turf, just kind of heaved the ball up in the air, and then one late in the game that was kind of the one that was on all the highlight reels, rolling to his right, Threw like a Derek Jeter-type jump throw across his body. Willie Sneed made a great play to come down with the football, but it should have been intercepted. There was a couple chiefs in the area. I liked what I saw from Lamar Jackson beyond that, that he can be patient. He naturally steps up in the pocket on almost every drop back. He made a couple of throws down the field, down the seam, one to uh, Nick Boyle to start the game. One to Marquise Brown down the sideline that was about 45 yards in the air on a rope. The receiver was just out of bounds. I like that from him. And that's kind of what I saw at Louisville, that he's ascending as a pocket passer. That the longer that he has experience, the more he improves. And I I do think that the arrow is certainly pointing up for him for that offense. But man, there were so many overthrows in this game. That this game, 33-28. Could have been a lot different. That certainly Patrick Mahomes was outstanding, but Lamar Jackson had six or seven downfield passes, whether it was Marquise Brown, whether it was Hayden Hurst, that he just blatantly overthrew his wide receivers. Some were 50-yard passes down the field, some were 20, 25 yards. I like the aggression in this offense. It's probably the offense that early on has most closely resembled the Chiefs offense, that they're attacking you vertically that yes there are some drag routes yes they'll dump it off to the running backs but they really want to stretch your defense and put a lot of pressure on your safeties but Lamar Jackson and, and we saw it to a certain degree at Louisville needs to be a little better passing the football down the field for this offense to really take off all right that'll do it for episode four I'm Chris Trapasso this was the prospect podcast